everyone, and welcome to Season 4, Episode 2 of Psychological. I'm Lou, I'm a neurodivergent academic. Psychological is a podcast that started during lockdown, and it aims to make an evidence-based contribution to conversations about child and adolescent well-being, development and learning, and neurodiversity. Today, I'm talking to Rosie Maguire. Rosie is currently a postdoc at UCL, and she recently completed her PhD at the University of Bath. Congratulations. Rosie is on the phone with me today to talk about one of her recent papers, Differences in the Diagnosis and Treatment Decisions for Children in Care Compared to Their Peers, an Experimental Study on Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder. Hello, Rosie. How are you doing today? I'm good, thanks. How are you doing? I'm all right. Not not dealing so well with the heat at the moment. So at the time, no. it's a really warm day, isn't it? But yeah. <laughs> might, might have cooled down a bit by the time this comes out, but it's really warm today. So mm-hmm. we'll jump straight in with talking about your paper. So would you be able to tell me what you discovered in this piece of research? Yeah, so we found that when we presented identical descriptions of a child presenting post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms, mm-hmm. UK mental health practitioners were twice as likely to diagnose the child with PTSD mm-hmm. or post-traumatic stress disorder if they were described as living with their mum than if they were described as living with a foster carer. Okay. So, yeah, that kind of highlights a a bit of a diagnostic bias where PTSD is picked up a bit less in children in care. Hmm. Wow. Okay. That's really interesting. Yeah. I I guess, like, related to that as well, we also found that um, clinicians were then less likely to go on to select a nice recommended treatment for PTSD for the child in care. NICE is, um, it stands for the National Institute of Clinical Excellence. Mm -hmm. Um, So they're basically a body that reviews research evidence to find which treatments have the best evidence of being successful in reducing Mm. symptoms for a particular mental health difficulty. Um, So yeah, for PTSD, that's the best evidence treatments are trauma-focused cognitive behaviour therapy. Uh Um, or CBT and EMDR which stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing okay cool so they would sort of both have a diagnosis missed potentially if there is one is that maybe the issue then that children in care are missing on both diagnosis that might fit them and also the treatment for those diagnoses yeah exactly yeah so kind of because the treatment decision is usually a flow-on decision from the diagnosis Mm. it's if that diagnosis is missed initially then that kind of leads to the the best evidence treatment for them also potentially Mm. being missed so maybe they're getting a poorer quality of care so what was it that actually motivated you to look into this topic in the first place well there's lots of debate around whether these treatments which are more cognitive based treatments mm-hmm. um whether they're actually appropriate for children in care right. um because often these children the majority have come into care due to experiencing maltreatment early on in their lives mm-hmm. um which is kind of a form of more complex trauma mm-hmm. so some people say that those treatments aren't really appropriate for the for that level of complexity and it's more like single incident traumas but there's lots more evidence now including recent systematic reviews and meta-analyses reviewing sort of all the research available that show that these treatments are actually appropriate and really effective for 
young people who've experienced these more complex traumas mm. um, and some of that research that's included in these are actually specifically focused on young people in care so it, it just seems like that message that we have in research that these are appropriate maybe isn't necessarily getting passed on to clinicians mm. clinicians know what they're doing and they know they need to use their own clinical judgment to mm. inform decisions but sometimes it's really helpful for research where we're kind of showing you know on with a whole population of young people what is the best approach to take mm-hmm. for this specific set of symptoms yeah the clinicians being informed by that kind of research is helpful but I think sometimes the message doesn't get out or mm. gets diluted with other yeah. information it takes quite a while doesn't it as well for sort of research evidence to actually filter through to practice sometimes yeah so I guess which is why it's kind of important for outreach material like podcasts and things that people can actually exactly access. that's exactly why I'm coming on here today because I want I feel like this message in this paper specifically is so important to get out to clinicians just because it directly affects their work and it directly affects young people yeah I think we came at it from a research evidence standpoint you know, as you always do with approaching research of why we wanted to do it. But also anecdotally, we knew so many young people who through our research with them, focusing on post-traumatic stress disorder and Mm -hmm. symptoms of that, we knew they had very, very obvious symptoms. Mm -hmm. Um, But then when we spoke to them about the support they were getting, they would, you know, be in therapy for years. where they've tried lots of different methods, but trauma-focused CBT isn't isn't one of the methods that's been approached with them. And it just, oh, yeah. to us, felt so frustrating that we're like, mm. we can see these symptoms. We've done the screeners and mm. can see that they're really struggling with these symptoms, but the trauma-focused work hasn't been approached with them for various different reasons. And, mm. you know, I'm not a clinician and I'm not saying that I know better. I know that often these young people are in really complicated situations where their placements break down and Mm. they're dealing with lots of other things. But sometimes dealing with the trauma Mm -hmm. helps with those other things. Sometimes when a young person is struggling with so many things, it can feel like approaching trauma is going to be opening a bit of a Pandora's box mm. with them but yeah, because it is sometimes and it is mm. difficult but then sometimes you you have to it's almost like you have to make things worse to make things better yeah yeah and if you're kind of ignoring the things that are deep down sort of leading on and affecting other parts of their lives then exactly so a big a big symptom of post-traumatic stress disorder is avoidance yeah and and that kind of perpetuates all of the other symptoms Mm. associated with the Mm. the mental health difficulty so if you can deal with that avoidance sometimes that in itself helps um I think sometimes clinicians are also a bit avoidant Mm. because just because it's hard trauma work is yeah yeah Mm. so how did you so your study you kind of looked into treatment methods that are used and diagnosis and kind of like how frequent diagnosis is across those groups sort of in care and not in care basically groups so Mm -hmm. how did you actually do your study like where were your participants from etc so we had 270 
wow. UK mental health practitioners that yeah. took part mm-hmm. and they were from a range of backgrounds that would be um sort of reflective of the groups that work with young people in care so it was largely NHS settings mm-hmm. then we also had some sitting more in social care settings or charity settings um so we invited them to take part it was all online mm-hmm. um so the clinicians were then randomized to see one of two clinical vignettes which were completely identical except in one we described a boy living with his mother and in the other we described a boy living with a foster carer wow okay yeah um and the symptoms that we described were all kind of classic post-traumatic stress symptoms that we see in groups of children in care. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were more kind of the outwardly presenting symptoms rather than the inwardly. Yeah, so I guess you're trying to make it as obvious as possible that that would be the diagnosis. <laughs> yeah, and just sort of what they would actually see in practice, mm-hmm. kind of giving them the level of information yeah. that they might get from a mum or a foster care or someone close to the child so yeah when they were presented with this vignette they were then asked to make a primary and secondary diagnosis decision and then a treatment decision as well as giving some other kind of demographic details about themselves after they saw the vignettes like um, their professional background their experience of treating PTSD or treating children in care did you then sort of find relationships perhaps between like how much experience they had yeah yeah so that was one of the things we wanted to look at kind of as well as just on a very basic level looking at the differences if there are any in Mm. diagnosis and treatment decisions Mm. we then wanted to look at if those kind of basic details about the clinicians predicted those decisions I guess yeah um but but largely we we found that they didn't. Oh, really. that's interesting. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So so largely we found that the differences were kind of robust in themselves without being affected by um, wow. any of the kind of demographic details. The only thing that was significant was um, the decision of giving a PTSD diagnosis was affected by professional background so diagnostically trained professionals like clinical psychologists and psychiatrists Mm -hmm. they were more likely to select a PTSD diagnosis than allied health professionals like mental health nurses and social workers if that makes sense yeah makes complete sense um but but I guess the thing that we have to consider then I mean that's obvious yeah really (laughs) but but the thing is the way that services are set up a lot of the time ends up going to the the other people first and then yeah you go to the allied exactly exactly so if if those allied health professionals are making the initial kind of triaging decisions Mm -hmm. if they're kind of saying you know I'm going to support this young person in this way or I don't feel qualified enough to support this young person. I need to escalate it. If they're not able to notice PTSD symptoms, Mm. there might be important cases. That are just missed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. How how did you actually like analyse the data then to get the results that you did? So it was probably one of the most basic analyses I've ever done for a paper, to be honest. Yeah. Um, 
I think a lot of the most interesting detail was in sort of the descriptives of just what was chosen, mm-hmm. what diagnoses and treatments were chosen for the different groups and just sort of being able to look at the tables and comparing, mm. you know, the percentages that chose this treatment versus this treatment in the two groups. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the paper, if you get a chance to look at it, I'd definitely yeah. say yeah. check out those tables. But um yeah, in terms of the actual analyses, it was mainly chi-squares just to show that there were actually significant differences between the groups in whether PTSD or the PTSD treatments were chosen. Yeah, so for um, anyone, I guess, listening that's not maybe familiar with um, statistical methods or like names of studies, a chi-square basically just tells you that there's, a, there's there is a significant difference between kind of like the frequency distribution in each group. That's right, isn't it? So that there's, yeah. there are actually more people in one group than the other and it's statistically different from... Yeah, so that I think probably the most complicated thing we did was um, the logistic regressions to look at whether the, any of those professional um, kind of background factors, the demographic factors impacted the decisions at all. Yeah. Um, yes. But as I say, most of those were were not significant. It was only that. So we've kind of, as we've been talking, we have sort of discussed this kind of final paper related question quite a lot, to be honest. So I was going to say, what do you think we can learn from this study? But I guess maybe at this point, sort of wrapping away a key takeaway point, if you have one that we haven't already discussed. I mean, the main point for me mm. is just showing that this bias exists. Yeah that young people in care are less likely to get a PTSD diagnosis and therefore less likely to receive these evidence-based treatments. I think for me, that's the most important thing. Highlighting this to clinicians, this bias exists, is the most important yeah. take-home point for me, just just to raise awareness. Mm. Um, you know, no judgment. I know that there's always lots going on with these complex clinical cases. Mm. I mean, I'm not saying that some of these other treatments aren't helpful for no, these young people. They're not they always, definitely yeah. are. Yeah. yeah. At times, you know, these young people have a lot of really complex mental health difficulties. Mm. That's like trauma focused CBT, for example, is not going to fix all of those. No, no, no. But it does. It does alleviate post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms specifically. Yeah, so if yeah. the young person is presenting with high levels of those symptoms Mm. that's what we're saying we just want to encourage clinicians to consider that and consider Mm -hmm. using that treatment yeah that makes sense I mean you can do sort of integrated therapy methods can't you as well so exactly and I think in practice that happens pretty much all of the time yeah Um, and clinicians kind of move from one treatment to another as they tackle different things and it's kind of up to them you know in what order they do things I think Mm. quite often in the UK our clinicians are very formulation driven and they they know they use their clinical judgment to give the right package for the young person but I think I guess what our work is kind of saying is maybe we're not considering their trauma related symptoms enough yeah yeah that makes sense yeah especially because there's been big um cohort studies with young people in care with thousands of young people in care that have showed that they're 12 times more likely to have PTSD than their peers wow and so I think they're less likely to be referred <laughs> yeah if, they, if they're 12 times more likely to have a mental health diagnosis but then are less likely 
to be picked up yeah. as having that diagnosis in this paper mm. I think that's quite a big mm. thing that we need to flag yeah definitely wow so where, where are you sort of taking this research next then do you have plans for expanding upon what you're doing at the moment yeah so it's really nicely actually led into the postdoc project that I'm now working on mm. um so this project is quite a big trial that we're running across England mm -hmm. it's it's an active implementation trial which means it's not like a a randomized control trial where we're controlling everything mm. it's we're actively looking at services at how they implement trauma-focused CBT. Wow. We have about 10, maybe 12 sites now across England mm -hmm. where we're training up clinicians that don't already know about trauma-focused CBT. Because I guess from this paper, quite a big thing came out where it might be that clinicians just need a bit more training in mm -hmm. PTSD and mm -hmm. this trauma-focused treatment. Mm -hmm. So we're rolling out those trainings as we speak it's very stressful on the projects at the moment yeah. <laughs> um but then we're going to be actively supporting the service to oh, use okay. trauma-focused cbt and we kind of want to find out really why a lot of clinicians are choosing not to use this treatment mm. um because there might be a really good reason for that that yeah. researchers are just a little bit detached from out. yeah yeah. So, and and then and as an additional part of that project, we're also going to be speaking to young people that are receiving that treatment. Okay. Um, nice. just to find out how they find it, if they find it, you know, a bit difficult and jarring to do the mm -hmm. um trauma focused work, mm -hmm. um, because that could be a big barrier to yeah. using it as well. Mm -hmm. So we're we're really just trying to find out what the barriers are and if anything could be done to kind of reduce those to actually help NHS settings use these treatments more mm, sounds great sounds really fantastic thank you so much for coming and talking to me about your paper and the ongoing project such an interesting topic um oh thank you thanks for having me it's such a good opportunity to share it yeah. because I just feel so passionately that it's so important to share outside of academia it is like my paper is not yeah. not that effective at disseminating this information love a good podcast <laughs> <laughs> me too and like the final question is not paper related but i usually ask everybody so there are probably people that are earlier on in their career than you are so students um some early career researchers as well do you have any advice that you would like to say to students and early career researchers i think probably the advice i'd give them and like the thing I've always kind of lived by in my research career is to just do things that you love. Yeah. Like do things that you care about. Mm -hmm. Don't waste your time doing things that because you get you get so many opportunities to do things in academia, especially if you can build up a good network and work with people who care about you. I think that's another important tip. Get supervisors and people later in their career that that can really support you mm -hmm. um but do say no to things that you don't really care about they yeah. might seem like an amazing opportunity for your cv but if you don't if you're not going to enjoy it and you yeah. don't care about yeah. what you're doing then it 
it can be painful yeah I guess if you really care about something and you're passionate about it it comes across in the quality of your work as well like exactly yeah. yeah really important advice thank you so much um, so for anybody that is listening, thank you so much for joining us. You can find out more about Rosie and her work by following the links in the podcast description and join us again at the same time next week for another episode of Psychological. Bye. Bye.